You guys can continue to remember the Nelsons as Ben recovers from his knee surgery. He's had to call me out of the bullpen now, so it's, uh, it's good to be here. So y'all pray for him, pray for a swift recovery, pray for Katie as well. She has some pulled ribs and stuff, so uh, just pray for her and lift her up. And uh, just on the front end, just want to say thanks to the Durkee family and Pete and Alana Skiltis. Just what a blessing it's been to, to care for you guys and, and, and shepherd you, and what a blessing it is to have had you in our church. You'll, you'll be missed greatly. So um, thank you guys for being a part of our church. God's blessings go with you guys. Ben and I have been preaching through a series on the life of Abraham, and so that's where we'll be tonight, Genesis chapter 22. Um, and it's been a one of the things about preaching through um, Genesis or preaching through the Old Testament, sometimes you're dealing with a, a lot of material, and there's just so much to say, and, uh, you know, we don't have hours, so we're trying to boil it down. So just pray that God's Spirit would, would speak through me as I take what He's given here and, and, and give it to you guys. But I guess the question to start with is, you know, have you ever been blindsided? Have you ever been blindsided by something? Have you ever been caught off guard before? And if you haven't, if you haven't lived long enough to be blindsided, if you haven't lived long enough to be caught off guard, you will. You will. You know, when I think about those things, I think about the feeling when you're caught off guard or the feeling when you're surprise attacked, and it reminds me of some examples. You know, I think about Pearl Harbor, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, just what a shock. I mean, it's just sudden shock, something that you never expected. Uh, I think about even... Recently, the World Trade Centers, as they collapsed, I mean, you would have never dreamed that would have ever happened. And, um, you know, I was thinking even in my own life, um, going back, way back to 1986, January 28th, it was about 10.30 in the morning. I was a fifth grader, elementary school, West Defuniac Elementary School. And there was only two fifth grade classes, and they were back-to-back, and that morning... We were combined because we were watching the first teacher, Kristen McAuliffe. We were watching her go into space on the space shuttle, the Challenger. And as a little boy, I can remember being so excited. I mean, I I grew up way out in the country, no satellite, no cable, about four channels on the television. So this was a big deal for me, and I was like, man, this is super exciting. We're going to watch the space shuttle go up. Just the eagerness and the expectation as a child. And then about 80 seconds, maybe I think it was 81 seconds into launch, the shuttle blows up. Now at first, as a fifth grader, you're just sort of like, you don't know a lot, but you're like, something's something's not right here. And then as you sit there for a little while and you begin to think and you're like, Seven people just lost their life. And then your little mind begins to sort of go into shock and sort of this sadness, and then you start thinking, or at least I did as a fifth grader with other brothers and sisters and mom and dad, and I'm like, they had children. They were married. It was the last thing on planet Earth that I ever thought was going to happen that morning. And in some ways, things happening like that in my own life has almost sort of made me have this vow, I'll always be ready. I was a police officer at a time, and 
That's not a really good thing. That's not a good thing to be like, I, I'm always going to, I'm never going to be caught offside. And maybe some of you have made that vow before. Maybe some of you have, doctors, lawyers, pastors, teachers, coaches, I'm never going to get surprised. I'm always going to be ready. So there's nothing in these verses that Abraham had any idea what was coming. There's nothing in the previous chapters of Genesis, nothing in the previous verses that would have indicated that God gave Abraham a heads up on what he was about to ask him to do, which is sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son. One author put it like this, If we're not a bit undone by Abraham's story, if you're not undone by the willingness of Abraham to sacrifice his son, you probably haven't read the passage very carefully. This is a story that really should undo us. It should shake our world. It should shake us up. It should leave us with lots of questions. Just like that space shuttle blowing up left me as a fifth grader, a ten-year-old, with a lot of questions when I got home. And the big question is, will Abraham trust God? When it seems and appears that God's commands are contradicting God's promise, will Abraham trust God? Will Abraham rest upon the rock? Or will Abraham sort of revert back to some of his earlier tactics, right? God, I, I'll get it done. We all face times and circumstances when the declared word of God, when the character of God seems to not align with the path that God has us on, right? That we hear God's word, we hear God's promises, and God, these promises and your word and your character, they just, they don't seem to fit with the road of suffering that I'm on. God, they don't, they don't seem to match up. I can't, I can't really put these together, God, where it makes sense to me. You start thinking about passages. All things work for the good of those that love him. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll promise to finish the work that I've started in you. In fact, it may even seem at times that God's promises... And God's path are contradicting themselves. What will you do when that happens? What will I do? What will we do as a church when this happens to us? And yes, this is who God is. This is what God does. We have the story in the New Testament Story of Lazarus, John chapter 11, right? Jesus' best friend, Lazarus, he's dying. 
sends word to Jesus, his sisters, Martha and Mary, send words to Jesus, hey, Lazarus is not going to make it. What's Jesus do? Does he run over there real quick? No, it says he lingers a few more days. And by the time he gets there, Martha and Mary's like, Jesus, we thought you loved us. We thought you loved our brother. Where have you been? We sent, we sent word days ago. So yes, this is the God we serve. Sometimes the God who lingers as we suffer, as we struggle. This is the story of the Bible. David, will you trust me? Will you trust what your eyes see as you look at Bathsheba? Jacob, will you trust me? Will you trust all your swindling and scheming? Abraham, will you trust me? Or will you and your wife figure out a way to get your slave girl to have the promised child? It is the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve, they look at the fruit and they don't trust God and it leads to death. David sees Bathsheba instead of trusting God. He takes of her and it leads to death. So The question this morning is, will we trust God when he lingers? Will we trust God when it doesn't seem as though path of God and the promise of God line up. But what I want you to understand, and I want to make sure I'm clear here, God is not the God who brings temptation. So God brings these circumstances, He brings these hardships, He brings these trials and these sufferings into our lives, and we get a hint. Abraham didn't get the hint at the beginning because he didn't get the word testing, but the Lord does test us, and he does it to refine us. And he does it to strengthen us, and he does it to mature us, and he does it to cause us to draw up close to him so that we don't put our hopes and our dreams in these false hopes and these hollow trees. See, testing strengthens and matures. And just like Mary and Martha, it reveals something about God that they didn't know, that, he, that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. You see, temptation is not that way. Temptation comes to poison. Temptation comes to weaken, comes to destroy, comes to lure us away from God. You see the difference? Testing is to draw us to the Lord and temptation lures us away from God. So I want you to realize that this is not temptation. This is God testing Abraham. The pathway of God's people is one of simple and swift obedience to God's spoken word. The pathway of God's church is simple 
in quick obedience to the voice of God. Listen at verse 3. After Abraham receives this command, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Not a whole lot of feely, feely there. He just got up and he did what God told him to do. Now what I want you to understand is this doesn't insinuate that these times are not filled with gut-wrenching emotions for Abraham. Heartfelt questions, sheer exhaustion in wrestling with himself for three days. It's, it's going to be three days, he receives the promise, three days until he arrives at Mount Moriah. Can you imagine the, the wrestling and the tussling and trying to reconcile God. I can't reconcile your promise and your command. I can't, I can't seem to fit these things together. I'm sure you've been there. Wrestling and tussling in our souls. You know what? That's probably the trend of the Christian life. No one's ever told you that. You thought this is just sort of Wrestling and tussling and struggling and falling and battling. That is the Christian life. But the point here is this. Despite the gut-wrenching command, Abraham responds immediately. God said it. That seals it. I'm going to do it. And let's not forget who Isaac is, right? He's the promised child. All the promises that God has made to Abraham sort of hinge on Isaac. He's the linchpin. God, if there is no Isaac, there's no descendants, there's not this land, there's not this community, all of Abraham's dreams and hopes and longings in his future generations, as numerous as the stars in the sky, right? God, how, how, how are you going to do that if Isaac's dead? So the big question for us this evening, where do you hang your hat? What is the thing or what is the person that all your hopes and dreams rest on? Is it your career? Is it your kids? Is it your accomplishments? <coughs> Tim Keller says this. The test for us is this. It's a test that will also push you to the point of breaking if you answer it honestly. Who or what do you love more than God? Who or what do you love more than God? What do you withhold from God and say, God, everything but this? We all have them. 
Whatever that is, that's your idol. You see, sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. That's what sin is. Keller goes on to say, whatever that thing is will drive you. It will enslave you. So God is asking Abraham, do you trust me? God is purifying the foundation of Abraham's hope. God is burning away all the false hopes and false dreams and reminding Abraham, I am Yahweh. I am the God who exists and calls to exist. I'm the one that calls things to be that are not. Do you trust me, Abraham, or do you trust what your eyes can see? Abraham's been thrown into the deep end of the pool. Again, not in his wildest dreams could he have ever thought that God would ask him to use Isaac as a human sacrifice. In fact, the very fact that this story is in the Bible gives validity that it's true because a Jew would never let this get into the Bible. It was the nations that were about child sacrifice. It was the cults. It was the pagan world, not the Jews. They served the God who created man in his own image. They would never have let this verse and this story into the Scriptures. And yet, in the midst of the fiery furnace, in the midst of the lion's den, there's this quiet confidence about Abraham. Confidence in God's promise and God's character. There's a certainty about the character of God that he has. Where does this raw conviction come from? Where does these anchors of the soul, where do they come from? One of them we see in verse 5, and it says this, Then Abraham said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again. We know from the passage that we read in Hebrews today that Abraham knew that God was the God of resurrection. Somehow Abraham knew that if God had the power to bring life out of death, out of his wife's dead womb, then some way God could raise Isaac from the dead. Isn't that, isn't that funny that in Genesis there's the hope of the resurrection? And God wasn't just asking Abraham to kill Isaac with a knife, it's a burnt offering. 
So when he was done, it was just going to be an ash heap. Which is even more amazing that Abraham believed that God could raise an ash heap back to life. Not only that, but in verse 8, you see, Abraham said after Isaac was like, Father, what about the sacrifice? What about the offering? Abraham says, God will provide for himself a lamb. You see, there's this undertone throughout the whole scriptures that only God can provide what is required. It's this idea, God, command what you will, command of us what you will. Be holy, Ryan, because I am holy. But God, please provide my holiness. You see that? There's this undertone that only God can provide what's needed. Only God can provide what's needed for my sin, for my failures. And not even my best obedience, not even my best sacrifice can do anything for that. God must provide the righteousness that I need. He must provide the sacrifice. See, what you might not know is Mount Moriah is mentioned in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. And Solomon says, On Mount Moriah will I build God's temple. See, that's where the temple would be. And it would be there, very close to there, that Christ would be crucified. You see, there's a truth we see throughout the Scripture that no matter if we offer our greatest idol, our greatest sacrifice, our best obedience, there's still a need for substitutionary atonement. There's still a need for a substitute. There's still a need for someone to get it done on my behalf. And verse 14 even gives us an even greater hint. And it says, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. John 8, 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. If you were to read Psalms 73, it's the psalm of Asaph. And if you were to read that psalm, Asaph is very discouraged he sees the wicked flourishing. He sees all these things around him that he can't reconcile what's going on. And he almost feels like he's being drug away to evilness. And it's all these things. And he says this in verse 16 and 17. It says, But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a weary task. You hear that? He sees all this evil, he sees all this stuff, it just doesn't reconcile with God's promises. It doesn't reconcile that God is ruling and he's righteous and he's good. And he says, it seemed to me a wearisome task to try to figure this out. And it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned therein. Then I understood. When did understanding come? For It came in worship. 
It didn't come with him reasoning and trying to figure it fit. It came as he worshiped God. Things begin to make sense. And the truth is, even in our own life, when we can't reconcile God's promises and God's commands, and we can't reconcile God's promises in the path that God has for us, you're not going to figure it out by trying to weave through it all. You're going to figure it out when you come to God and say, God, I'm here to worship you with your people, around your word, around your table. Show up, God, and provide for me what is needed. Verses 15 through 19 is just God simply reaffirming to Abraham all that he said and promised to give him. And one of the things I want you to see and sort of skip over this is you come to the end of the passage and you come to the end of the verses. We didn't read them. It's a bunch of names that I can't even pronounce, verses 20 through 24. And you're like, what does that have to do? What does that have to do with the passage? It's, it's a passage about Abraham's brother and all the descendants that he has. You're like, what's that got to do with this great story about Isaac? But don't you see, don't, don't you see that the people of God, that God's church... That the promised child is just one child, right? He's this frail one child. If he dies, the whole lineage leading to Christ. And then you have Abraham's brother, and he's just having kids hands over fist, right? And you know what? You know, you know what this tells me? That God uses the foolish things, the weak and the frail things, to shame the things that are wise. That you look at God's church, and if we took God's church and we looked at it in comparison to the world, you'd think, man, this is a ragtag bunch. Even if you looked at it universally, it would be a fraction. It would be like a candle standing on planet Earth. That's what it would look like. One, one candle. But that's the way God works. That's the way God has always worked. You see, it's not... This passage is not called Abraham's great obedience. It's called the Lord will provide. You see, this isn't about Abraham. This is about God. This is about God showing up and giving Abraham what he knows that Abraham cannot give him, which is what is needed for sin, which came at the sacrifice of Christ on Golgotha. See, it's a reminder to us of what God done to His Son on our behalf. And that God was willing that though I cannot be holy, though I cannot be righteous, Ryan, I will see to it that you get the righteousness you need. And I will see to it at the cost of my Son. And what God is wanting us to see is that God loves you. That when you're going through these times and you can't put it together, that you can look at Genesis 22 and say the Lord will provide, and He did provide on the cross. And that love and the character of who God is 
helps us persevere. You see, what we learn about God is He does require radical obedience. But He's the promise keeper and He's the provider. He doesn't believe in human sacrifice because you could sacrifice every human on the planet and sin would still reign. So instead, he took on humanity and he laid down his life for you and I. That's our hope. The hope of the resurrection and the hope that God will see to it that you are clothed in his righteousness when the day of judgment comes. Let's pray together. Yeah.